Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Merry Christmas, Guilty Feminist listeners, and or an incredibly happy festive period to you. Please enjoy this compilation, like a sitcom best of, of Guilty Feminist Christmas shows and campus Christmas specials from over the years. This year, we didn't have time to do a show because I was away for the whole of December, so instead our big December show was our show celebrating Cal Wilson, which I hope you all listen to if you haven't had a chance. And thank you so much for all the incredible messages we've had in about how much you love Cal and how and how helpful it was to hear friends grieving, uh, as well as, of course, the joy of celebrating her life. This episode is made up, as I said, of Ghosts of Christmas Past, but also this year we did throw a small spontaneous eighth birthday party in central London. And so it does include some comments from Guilty Feminist regular co-hosts about what the show means to them. Our partner for that event was the Dahlia Project, and you'll hear from Leila Hussein about the urgency of fundraising for that, because it is indeed the only counselling service for FGM in Europe, and we would love you to consider donating to that at daliaproject.org. It's so important. 
Also this December, I recorded a one-on-one interview with the head of Amnesty about Gaza and Israel. We'll be doing more with Amnesty about this next year. It's such a tragic situation going on over a period when most of us will be eating more and staying inside in the warm and being with our loved ones. Um, If you haven't listened, please find some time and space over the holiday period uh, to do so if you can. Also consider joining Amnesty. If you're worrying about how can you get any aid to Gaza in, who's there on the ground, who can get any in, I was talking to Josie Norton at Choose Love and they are working with some partners on the ground who can get aid in. So you could donate to choose.love or Josie recommends one of their partners you can donate to directly, the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund. They are at pcrf.net. That's pcrf.net. And if you give to Choose Love, they'll give to a variety of partners there. And now to the podcast where we start with an excerpt from our fifth birthday show at King's Place. Have a happy Christmas, everyone. right. Five years ago, bar two days, on the 9th of December, we assembled uh, 30 people in the basement of a fringe theatre in London, 20 of whom I knew by name, 10 of whom were their mates, uh, their plus ones, their bringers. Uh, is that John Cole? Yep. John Cole runs our Patreon. John Cole, where are you at that first show? Of course you fucking were. Is there anyone else at that first show? Just give us a cheer. <laughs> Woo! What's your name? Hey! Have you been on this show? Have you been on this show a couple of times? Yes, okay. Um, So, yeah, and we never expected at that point. I think I joked on the night about this going to an arena, and this year we played the Wellington Arena. Absolutely amazing. Uh, We played the Royal Albert Hall last year, and we've just had such an exceptional time uh, getting to know all of you, growing with you, learning with you. We set out from the very beginning to say, we don't know it all. We don't know. We don't really know. We want to explore this. We want to learn about it. I think we're one of the first podcasts to do that. I think previously podcasts have been, I'm an expert. Let me educate you. And uh, what we were saying was, we're numpties. Uh, learn along. And uh, I look back at some of the stuff we said in the first episode, and I'm like, wouldn't say that now. No, I'd cut that now. No, I'd rethink. I've, I've repositioned how I think, because I've learned so much from my audience who write in and go, you know that you, when you say that, you're excluding this group of people. I'm like, I didn't know. So this show feels very, very, very different from how it did five years ago. But it still has that same joy and same energy, which is still permeating from the people here. Now, tonight, obviously, we probably would have done our five-year anniversary show at the Palladium or something like that. But do you know what? I'm kind of glad it's at King's Place because this has been our residency and although, obviously, for, you know, for a big show where we want to fit in 2,000 people, we tend to go to places like the Barbican and the Palladium. We're so grateful and lucky that they want us and that they'll have us. We're so lucky to do the Robert Hall. But this has been our home, you know. We started in the 200-seat theatre, and Zoe built, you know, this with us until we were ready to upgrade to the big baby room. And uh, now we are always sold out in the big baby room. I know it doesn't look sold out tonight, but that is because it's illegal to sell it out. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's right. We have to have clusters of handmaidens. Um, 
feminism's taken a turn. <laughs> Sitting alone, rocking and crying, just grateful to be able to make eye contact with someone. I came backstage in my mask tonight and uh, somebody went, nice eyes. And I was like, that is such a 2020 compliment. So what have you done with your eyes? We make such effort with our eyes now. It's like, you know, uh, I might pop on a bit of liquid eye on it because no one can see anything else about me. Um, now, the very first episode, uh, the theme was nudity. Just give us a cheer if you heard the first episode. You might have tuned in later. Just give us, give us a cheer if you don't remember the first episode. Oh, God, you were all committed. You started with the first one. But uh, does anyone remember what my challenge was? Life drawing model, thank you very much. Five years ago, I was absolutely terrified to walk in to a life drawing class. But the lady made it a lot easier because uh, I was a bit late and there was already an incredibly glamorous girl, Lucy, who I'm friends with to this day. Because when you meet somebody naked, you are bonded for life. Um, <laughs> And Lucy was there. She was like 21. She was a student. And she had this very elegant tattoo of like a chandelier down her back, I think I remember. And she was glorious. And she was perched on a stool with the most elegant posture I'd ever seen. And I walked in and the lady made it very easy for me by saying, take your robe off and put it on the chair and sit down next to Lucy. And I was like, no, oh no, no, no. This is going to be the worst night of my life. But actually, do you know what? It turned out to be one of the best nights of my life. And that's the thing about The Guilty Feminist. You're never sure how it's going to go. But I, I'll tell you when it took a turn. She dragged a mattress across the floor, put a piece of red velvet over it, and said, recline. And I thought, I've got two options here. I can kind of go down like a mouse. But then, you know, we all know when we're lying down, arms behind the head, tits up, is the power posture. Um, so I thought, fuck it, I've only got one option. So I lay there like that, and you have to lie there absolutely still for eight minutes. Once someone started drawing, you cannot move at all, which was unfair because a man moved around. So he was down the other end. I placed my knees very carefully, gang, and he moved around. I was like, oh no, I can't move. But after I'd been there for like eight minutes, completely still, I started to feel like a queen, like an empress, like they were all hiding behind their clothes. And I was the one they had to draw. And I thought, I'm going to become a life drawing model. I'm going to do this for confidence. I'm going to do this like, you know, once every couple of weeks. I've never done it again. <laughs> but this week, Sophie Duker cajoled me into putting five nudes on the internet, which is a feminist challenge. Now, she tried to make me do it in the middle of lockdown in summer, and I said, fuck off, Sophie Duca. I don't think so. I haven't been waxed since 1978. I don't... Not everyone has to be waxed. I like it. I like the smoothness. I don't know what to tell you. I enjoy it. I've been not waxed and waxed, and I like the smoothness. And I just felt... You know, I just felt dowdy in lockdown. I just felt like there was no... Look, my natural beauty is predicated on a team of experts. That is just how it fucking works. And um, I, I'm a scrubber-upper, basically. Although I have become more comfortable with myself in my natural habitat, in my natural state, and that's a good thing to come out of 2020. But I was just like, I'm not posting nudes. I wasn't in the place. But this week, Sophie and I got on a Zoom podcast, and we were chatting about it, and I said I'd never done it, and maybe I would. And so as soon as we got off, she started posting, Deborah Francis White owes us all nudes. She's got to do it right now. She's got to do it now. Five nudes. And I meant like sometime that week when I'd chosen, like, she was like, now, 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 now. So I thought, oh, fuck it. Fuck it. I've got to do it now. So I just went into the bathroom, took everything off, got a cup of tea, and just took a picture of myself in the mirror with a cup of tea here and my phone here. So you couldn't see the nipples because otherwise they throw you off Instagram. I know I got a nipple out on Instagram once before. 
because of Amanda Palmer. Long story. And uh, don't hang out with Amanda Palmer and not expect to end up kicked off Instagram, is all I'm saying. And uh, so I was like this, and I took it in the mirror, and then I took these other ones. I did one in the bath, which was more of a video. That sounds wrong, but it was, no, it was just, look, I left it on the highlights reel. You can see them for yourself. Um, And I just thought, fuck it, I'm just posting them. And I did a lot of stuff around it, you know, to mitigate it by saying Sophie's forcing me, um, so that people would not think this was me, you know, wanting to do this. And I put them out, and I felt that embarrassed, feeling awkward. Uh, But then quite soon, I just thought, it's only my body. And I remembered that very first thing. And I thought, it's just a body. We've all got one. Why are we so obsessed with hiding it? And I realized that the five years of the podcast really had paid off because I felt incredibly liberated. And then I saw all the people looking at it because you can tell who's looking at your stories. And I saw like all these men in my life who had seen the build of Deborah's going to do this. Oh my God, me reposting Sophie, me going five seems like a lot. Oh, I have to do it. Oh, oh. And they had clicked through every one and then one and I thought they're going to stop after one. They didn't. They looked at all of them. These like just guys I know, like in comedy and stuff. And I was like, oh, oh, oh fucking hell. Oh, God. Like I'm going to be in rooms with them now. And I'm going to know that they looked at all of them. And they're going to know that I know that I looked at all of them because some of them listen to this podcast. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then I was like, and I had this terrible, like deep down feeling of they're going to think that I feel entitled to be a sexy person. They're going to think, do you know what I mean? Like that, like so, only one person relates to that because sometimes observational comedy, sometimes observational comedy is only to connect to one person. But I had this thing of like, do they think I'm taking myself seriously and that I think I'm sexy? And I was like, do you know what? And I looked at the nudes again and I was like, I am sexy. This is okay. I'm going to take myself seriously as a sexual person in 2021. That's right. To the extent, to the extent where I have my bra on show tonight. And if you don't think that's serious, you're wrong. I've thrown a bra into the audience tonight. Have you ever known me to do that before? No. Do you know why? The nudes liberated me. Sophie Duker was right. I am liberated by the nudes. And then I did a virtual reality gig for a company called Creative XR, which stands for uh, Extra Reality or Extended Reality, Extended Reality. I was in a comedy club. So it was basically like we are now, except I've got a headset on. So it looks like I'm in this room, but I'm not. I'm in a room on my own because we've got COVID. And, but the thing is full of people. But you're all at home as well, but it looks like you're here. I mean, it's animated. It looks like you're in a cartoon. It doesn't look like there are real people there. But it looks like you're in a cartoon. So as you walk, what you can see is what you see when you walk. And you put your hand up and you can see your hand, but it's a cartoon hand. And you can point at somebody and they see that you're pointing at them and you do too. Except sometimes they've just gone to make a cup of tea in real life and it's just their avatar sitting there. So you're talking to them and then you realise there's no one there. It's weird, right? And so they said to me, and this is a real I'm a feminist part, they said to me, do you want this jeans and a t-shirt avatar? We've got two avatars that look a bit like you, just like a woman. Um, <laughs> one's jeans and a t-shirt, and one is in this hot dress that looks like she's a 90s glamour model. I went, obviously, the 90s glamour model. Who doesn't want to sex up at this point? I mean, why would I go out in jeans and t-shirt? It doesn't make any sense. And I thought, everyone's going to do that, right? Everyone's going to make themselves a sexier version of themselves. When I got out there, the whole audience were like, they weren't people... It was like a rabbit in a ruff and a donut with arms and legs. 
and I was like, they haven't done that. What they've done is quite feminist. They've said, you can't make any assumptions about me. You cannot sexualize me. You cannot look at me and tell what gender I am. You cannot look at me and project gender onto me. You cannot look at me and project age onto me. You cannot look at me and project race or disability or anything of those on me because I'm a rabbit in a rough. So what fucking assumptions have you got? And I realized that there was something very powerful about this because I might meet this rabbit in this rough and decide this rabbit in a rough is a twat. Not a nice rabbit in a rough. Don't like his political opinions, quite rude. But the next night, if I go into another bar and I meet another rabbit in a rough, do you know what I can assume about rabbits in roughs? Fucking nothing. Because this rabbit in a rough might have been a woman from Croydon who was 45 and, you know, had drove a Volvo. And this rabbit in a rough might be a 14-year-old boy from India. And I think more time in virtual reality is going to make us just make fewer assumptions in real life. But I also realized that um, I really love reality. Um, Because you pick up a drink in virtual reality and it goes, because I'm not good at it. But then even when you get good at it, you can't drink the drink. It's made up. In reality, you can drink all of the drink. So I just, after that, wanted to go down Oxford Street going, oh my God, everything's real. I wanted to go like into a garden and go, oh, feel the plant. It's re- I can smell it. Reality's amazing. And I said it to this guy and he went, yeah, reality's got great graphics. <laughs> it's true. So those two experiences together have made me realize that I make assumptions all the time about myself and how people see me. And it made me realize a bunch of things. It made me realize that my assumption that I would want to go out looking like a 90s glamour model, when I can't even see my own body anyway, I can only see my hands, it didn't make me feel sexy at all. It also made me realize one final thing. There is nothing sexier than a glazed donut with arms and legs. (laughs) Just want to put your tongue right in that hole. Imagine shagging a donut. Come on, people. Come on. Today we're doing a guilty feminist yuletide anti-fascist extravaganza. Um, It's Christmas, but that means it's a good time to fight fascism. (laughs) We've decided. I think it is, though. I think it is because you're sort of full of Christmas cheer and spirit and you're feeling generous and it starts making you think about other people. So this is Christmas and what have you done? I've always felt that was a bit passive-aggressive. Do you feel like that when you hear the show? All right, John Lennon, more than you this year. (laughs) Another year over, another year down. Yes, I know, I've not done enough. The part that gets me is when it gets to war is over if you want it. Fuck, I haven't wanted it enough. (laughs) That's designed to make women feel guilty because we're the ones taking that on, you know that. So it's our anti-fascist extravaganza. Now, the reason it's our anti-fascist extravaganza is it cannot have escaped your notice that the far right is sweeping across Europe. You cannot have escaped your notice because it was on the front page of The Guardian two weeks ago. There was a whole thing about the polls. One of our guests tonight was telling us that two refugees were sent back to a border uh, in Greece naked and they froze to death. There are children at the American border with numbers on their wrists. One died of dehydration. And the things that are being said in the Australian Parliament 
are just extraordinary. Turns a phrase like the final solution. There are two concentration camps offshore for refugees, including children. And recently the head doctor was arrested and taken away because she was saying you cannot, you cannot keep people in these conditions just because it's offshore. So my question is, who's going to fight fascism this time? Because the timing is almost on the nose, just as everyone who can really remember the Second World War is dying. It's like, oh, that didn't really happen. And we set the clock again. But last time, Britain, America, Australia, a lot of the countries that allied up to fight fascism are drawing up the drawbridges or electing people who clearly have a fascist agenda, even if the Constitution currently won't allow fascist activity. So who, who, who is it? Who's going to stop it? And my idea is this. It's got to be us. Because the thing is, in the 1930s, They rounded up journalists, but we're all journalists now, all of us. Anyone who has a Twitter account or could get one, anyone who has an Instagram account or could get one is a journalist and could start changing the way the world is seen by those around them. We've got to be more clever than we're being at the moment where we're all sitting in bubbles and sharing things that essentially most people don't want to read. But I reckon we can do it. But what we have to recognise is that it is possible that we are now living in the time between Hitler's a madman, it'll never happen, he's not dangerous because he's so out there, and the time where it's too dangerous to speak out because you feel you'll be shot. And that period, we don't know how long that period is or if we're living in that period now, but in case we are, I don't want to sit back and do nothing. If in five years' time they come... I want to say I've done everything I possibly could. But I also think there's enough of us. There's enough of us and we're smart enough and we're mobilized enough and we have a voice now. We all have a voice that we can actually collectively stop it. I've only really realized my power in the last couple of years. Five years ago, I actually wasn't that politicized. I said I was, but I didn't really do anything. Mostly I just went for brunch and complained to my friends that I wasn't getting far enough in comedy. (laughs) We talked about our sex lives and we shared things that we were buying and we were massive consumers. And I think the thing that is going to change us now from people who go on marches, but then what do we do? Into people that stop fascism collectively and globally, us, here, the people that start to spread this word and change things. What we have to realize is when we look at those pictures of people being liberated from concentration camps at the end of the Holocaust, we see those people and they seem surprised to be alive, bald, skeletal, almost soulless. And we have to remember, if they're wearing a Star of David, that was just one chapter in their life. And for many people, it was the last chapter in their life. But for some people, it wasn't. It was just one chapter in their life. Before that time, they were like the Jewish people in our community now. They were that university lecturer who you had a crush on. They were that nice couple who run the bagel shop. They were that guy in a suit getting on the tube and pushing his way in front of you. They were that doctor without borders. They were David Schwimmer. They were Barbara Streisand. (laughs) That's who they were. And when you see people being liberated from camps or photographed in camps wearing pink triangles, it's really easy to look at them and think they look like zombies almost. They're people you feel pity for. But to forget that actually... That was one chapter of their life. For some, their last, but for many, not. 
And they were that cool guy in the nightclub who admired your outfit, that person at work you have the best in-jokes with, the quiet IT guy, the nice couple who run the bagel shop. They were Han Gadsby. They were the queer eye guys. That's who they used to be in a previous chapter. They had unrequited crushes. They had bad dates. They complained about things. They sweated the small stuff. They didn't like the way their coffee was served and they sent it back. They were us. And if this next wave of fascism comes, if we sit here and watch the polls go further and further and further right, if we watch Putin and Bolsonaro and Trump form alliances, they are coming for the people in our neighborhood. They're coming for that nice couple who run the bagel shop. They're coming for our dentists, for our Instagram influencers. And they're coming for some of us. So now is the time to act. Now is the time to act. Because things are changing. You all heard the story about Jim Acosta. Um, He was in the White House and he kept on asking Trump questions. There was some tussle over a microphone and then he was banned from the press room. Then the judge said, no, he has to be let back in. And so Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, okay, he can come back in, but now there has to be new rules, new rules for decorum. Journalists can't ask more than one question. Journalists have to sit down if the president says he won't answer their questions. Trump said on Twitter that he would like to have a state-run press. Right? And there were Jim Acostas in 1930s Germany. There was a man called Fritz Gerlich, He was a journalist. He wasn't Jewish, but he spoke out against anti-Semitism. And he was sent to Dachau. What year do you reckon he was sent to Dachau? Any guesses? Most people I've asked have said 1939 or 1941. Earlier. Earlier. How much earlier do you reckon? 33. He was sent to Dachau in 33. Most people don't even know Dachau was a concentration camp in 33, but it was where agitators, journalists, people who spoke out, the Jim Acostas were sent He died in 34 in what was called the Long Night of the Knives, where people who disagreed with Hitler publicly were killed. We don't know how much time we've got, but we do know they can't round up all the journalists this time. And the other thing we know is, while there might not be any obvious allies, it's not like we can expect Canada and New Zealand to form a supergroup. They've got some very nice-looking prime ministers, but... They don't have the heft. They don't have it. I don't want to be negative, but let's be clear. There are limits to even Justin Trudeau's charms. It's not going to push fascism back. I mean, maybe. Um, But here's the thing. What you can't have fascism without, you can't. And governments won't try and implement it because they need the ground to be right. You can't have it without mass othering without spreading the message that is soaked in and believed all the brown people, all the refugees, all the Jews, all the black people, all the trans people, all the gay people. You can't have fascism without that. It's not possible. And you can't have it without mass apathy. Because the reality is most people in Nazi-occupied countries turned away. They just looked away because it was too difficult to look at. And I feel that now. I scroll past pictures of Yemen because it's too hard to look at. It's difficult to look at everything that's going on right now. Does anybody else feel it's difficult to look at everything? It is difficult to look at everything. The vast, vast majority of our populations are not white supremacists. Actually, a very small percentage of our populations are white supremacists. 
and serious misogynists and homophobes and transphobes. And a very small percentage of our population would get on a train and go to Calais and work with refugees or sort of go out of their way to do some act of kindness. Most people go on Instagram to look at contouring and cats. (laughs) And I think we spend so much of our time arguing with people on the far right and not realising there aren't that many of them. What we need to do is motivate and politicise all of those people in the middle, and we only need a chunky minority. You only need enough people that if they came into your street to round up all the brown people or all the refugees or all the gay people or whoever they wanted to round up, there would be enough of us to come out to the street and hold hands and say, if you're going to take them, you have to take all of us. They won't do it if they know that's the case. So we need to politicise a chunky minority of people who are not politicised. And we won't do it with sad, scary pictures. And we won't do it by shouting at people on Twitter that they're not good enough. My question to you and my question for this evening is what's our carpool karaoke? (laughs) Seriously, what's the carpool karaoke that fights fascism? What are the things that are fun to look at? How can we make our tribe more joyful? How can we make our tribe a more fun place to be? How can we make people realise that politics is everything? That the way that they live, that the money that they earn, that the freedom that they leave the house with, that the fact that they don't have a curfew, that's politics. All the good stuff we have is politics, is freedoms that people have fought for. So what we need to do is individualise people, individualise people. If if enough of us had like a little story on our Instagram of like making cupcakes with a trans person, or interviewing a refugee about something they weren't expert on. It becomes impossible for people to go, all trans people are scary, all refugees are sad. It becomes impossible. So the two things I want us to think about tonight are joy. How do we make our tribe a joyful place? But then how do we make it an active place where we get people to understand that they could be coming for all of us? So we need to gang together now. We need to be an army but a joyful, delightful army that fights apathy and fights the generalisation and the othering that the tabloids would have us believe. Because the thing is, we are stronger than the tabloids. We are mightier than the tabloids. We are more numerous than the tabloids. There's one Sun newspaper. There's one Daily Mail. How many of us are here in this auditorium tonight? 500? But we've got to be louder, we've got to get busier, and we've got to get more proactive, more actively compassionate. So, are you with me? I know I normally do stand-up at the beginning of this show, and this isn't stand-up, but in a way, I didn't really want to make this part funny. I wanted to say... Tonight, we are going to have a very good time, uh, mostly because of other people who are funny <laughs> are bringing on. I've booked some of your favourite stand-ups who I wanted here together with me at the end of the year, some of your favourite co-hosts of The Guilty Feminist, because I wanted you to see as many of them as possible at the end of the year. I want them to come on and be their joyful, wonderful, funny selves and tell you the stories they want to tell you. And then we've booked two really amazing <laughs> guests to talk quite seriously and also good-naturedly, wholeheartedly, warmly, amusingly about what's next for us, what we will do in 2019 to turn this oil tanker around. I truly believe we can do it. 
And so that I can feel much better next year when I hear John Lennon go, so this is Christmas. What have you fucking done? Good, they were the things on my clipboard. Um, <laughs> this cape was made by Despicable Daisy. She's made me capes that say guilty feminist on the back. She can make you anything that you want. Um, but you, oh, you have to pay her, by the way, that's clear. Uh, but she's a massive fan uh, of our cause tonight, and she feels very strongly about it. Tonight, all the proceeds from this show are going to the Say It Loud Club run for and by LGBTQ plus refugees. That's right. When people first get to London, if they are LGBTQ plus refugees and they are fleeing specifically homophobic oppression... Um, it can be very difficult for any number of reasons. One reason is the Home Office usually open with, can you prove you're gay? Uh, I mean, yes, absolutely. Literally, in some cases, you don't look like a lesbian. And to which the refugee will reply, uh, well, if I look like a lesbian in Uganda, I'm dead. But, but also, what does a lesbian look like? That's not a known quantity, even here. But even more so if you haven't grown up with the iconography and it hasn't been safe to express yourself in that way. So Say It Loud are run, they were started by refugees, they're run by refugees, and they absolutely understand what it's like to turn up in a strange place and have to integrate and sort of turn up and go, well, many people say, well, I don't, can't just turn up at a gay club. Like, what would that be like? What would that feel like? And so... It's community, it's pride, which can be very, very difficult to access if you're from somewhere where it's been criminalised and even with the extent of capital punishment. It's also connections, it's uh, legal help, which we're going to hear more about tonight, um, and all sorts of other logistical help. So it's an amazing, amazing cause. So all the proceeds uh, tonight will go to the Say It Loud Club. None of the comedians are taking a fee. Everything from tonight that we get as the Guilty Feminist goes straight to Say It Loud. And you're only applauding yourselves. It's your money, gang. You're applauding yourselves. Well done, you. Um, you know you can also set up a direct debit. Um, whatever, whatever you do, when wherever you are, um, you can donate. If you go to sayitloud.org, it'll say donate, and you can set up a direct debit if you'd like to. So we'll talk more about that. First, I just wanted to talk a little bit about... The nature of refugees and Christmas, this very special intersection and why I wanted to do the show. And it's partly because I think Christmas is a great time for us to remember about welcoming people. Five years ago, I did a podcast. Uh, we were doing a podcast season with refugees coming on as guests, but they weren't talking about being refugees because refugees often get filtered through their displacement story. And so we said, well, can people come on and just talk about themselves or anything else that they know about? And so we had a refugee on a podcast, and uh, there was something about him that I really liked. And afterwards I said, look, my husband and I are going away, and we need someone to mind our cats. 
Um, and because I knew he was sofa surfing and he didn't really have anywhere to stay. He was displaced again and I just felt he hadn't, he'd, he'd been an architecture student in Damascus at the sort of Oxbridge of the Middle East and he had been displaced and living in refugee camps and homeless for five years. So I, I just said, would you like to buy a cat? I said, I love cats and he came to stay. Um, Anyway, long story short, he's never left. And uh, that was five years ago. You know, it became apparent that if he left, the, one of the cats would leave with him. And uh, it, was the, it was the good one. So we ended up saying, look, you know, you should stay. And he's really brought more to our life than we've brought to his by absolute miles. Many of you will know him. His name's Steve Ali. Steve being short for Mustafa. He's from Syria. Anyway, the first Christmas, he'd only been with us a little while. I think he'd been with us for three months. And we said, would you like to come for our family Christmas up north? Um, And he said, yes, I'd really like to. And Steve had never had Christmas before, understandably, of course not. But he also, there was a lot of embargoes on uh, Western media. And his family were also very strict about what he could and couldn't watch. So he didn't have any references. We had to explain everything to him. And it was only then that I realized how ridiculous it is. (laughs) Like, he was like, so there's, sorry. He came home one day and went, do you know there's a tree inside? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I thought we could decorate it together. He was like, why? And I was like, because it's, okay, um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> there were so many things, like, I had to explain to him about Santa, and he was like, so you tell a, ch- you tell, ch-. I said, do you have anything like that? You know, like, is there anything where you, similar, you know, in your culture? And he went, what, like a burglar? But you... <laughs> You tell children, go to sleep, because a man you don't know is going to break in in the night. No, we don't have anything like that. Definitely not. Why would we? That is a te- what is that? A plum pudding that you set on fire? Um, it was like, why are you setting fire to a perfectly good pudding? We were like, we don't, we don't know. We don't. We don't know to have the answers to any of your questions. And then also you have to explain things like, um, this is just our Christmas. So if you go to someone else's house another year, don't expect them to do this because everything's so weird. So when the plum pudding comes out and we've lit fire to the brandy, in our family, we sing, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Jesus, happy birthday to you. (laughs) And I was just like, can you imagine if one year he ends up at his mate's house and... He's like, starts to say, happy birthday to you. I was like, no, that's just us. And then he turned to me and he said, when, so when's Jesus' birthday? And I went, today. That's what Christmas is. He went, oh, I get it now. Um, but it's not clear, isn't it, from the Santas and the trees? Nothing about this says Jesus' birthday, really. It's not what Jesus would have wanted. So anyway, he, Steve really got into spirit and he absolutely loved it. And he was like, so next year I came home and he had got the tree. He'd bought the tree and he'd started decorating it. And it was really, really lovely. And I said to him, Steve, just so you know, this year I've given our flat to refugees at home because we're going up north. And you can do that. If you don't know, you can contact refugees at home and say, we're going away. It could be for two days, could be for a week, could be for two weeks. And they will organize refugees who are all you know, within their system. And he said, well, who is this person coming in? I don't know them. And I went, no, but they're from refugees at home. He was like, all right, all right, well, I'd like to know who it is. And I said, oh, okay, I've just opened the email. He's a model. I think we found a refugee more good-looking than you, Steve. <laughs> and he went, show me. <laughs> what? And he went, well, he's probably not very clever. And I went, it says here he's a lawyer. <laughs> and he went, 
well, his English probably isn't very good. And I said, this is true. I said, it said here, um, it says here he's actually translated a book of Sylvia Plath letters from English into Kurdish. He was like, I don't like the guy. Anyway, Ari turns up and he comes the night before we leave to, so we can show him around. And we're going off to a Grace Petrie concert. Just give us a cheer if you know Grace Petrie. If you don't know her, you've got to look her up. She's absolutely fantastic. She'd be here tonight if she didn't have something else on because we just work with her all the time. She's amazing. And so I, I, was, I was on the bill. So I said, you know, do you mind coming to the show? It's called Proper Lefty Christmas. Because Grace's audience is very queer, you know, I thought, oh, he might enjoy it. So along he came. And we walked in, and Ari, you have to understand that Ari left because he was going to be killed. Ari's a gay man. It came out he was a gay man. He was going to be killed. And he left his life as a lawyer and a translator of Sylvia Plath poems and a part-time model, and he ran. And he had been on the run for years. And the night before he came to stay with us, he'd been sleeping rough at Waterloo Station, which gives you context for people's lives. And by the way, refugees don't all have to be good-looking, Sylvia Plath. You know, people are from different walks of life. If you take any thousand people in London right now at random and put them in boats off the coast of Dover, that's who refugees are. It's the CEO of the bank. It's the person who cleans the floors. It's the librarian with unrequited love. I don't know why I think librarians have unrequited love. If you're a librarian, I'm so sorry. You're probably having way more sex than me. I don't know why I would think that but you know it's everybody that's what you have to understand it's everybody it's everybody people always think like do you not think bomb I can't stand it when I hear Suella Braverman Pretty Patel I'm like do you not think bombs fall on rich people like people they fall on everybody like it's just it's this assumption that people are desperate to get to our amazing country I mean they're fixing that aren't they um <laughs> they are they make it so undesirable that no one would want to come here it's disastrous um but Ari had run away from an incredible life, and he was terrified. And uh, he was finally in safety in the UK. But I took him that night to this concert, and you know, I was in like Shepherd's Bush in a big sort of you know all beer and you know fun and sawdust on the floor. And this lesbian punk band came out, and they were singing, um, "I want to kiss you in the street where everyone can see," and they were kind of jumping up and down, um, headbanging. And he just looked at me and he went, are they allowed to sing this in public? And I went, yeah. And it dawned on me that he knew it was legal here. He knew you wouldn't get arrested for it. But he didn't, it never occurred to him you were allowed to publicly celebrate it. And he kept like looking at the door like the police were going to come in. Which, you know, in a few decades ago in this country, that would have happened. But he said, I can't believe they're allowed to sing this. I said, well, they're still singing it in quite an angry way, which should tell you it's not fully resolved. But... <laughs> But it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. And that night we went home and Steve said, um, I've made Aria stocking. And I said, that's really nice. He said, well, at my first Christmas, I got a stocking. And to be honest, Steve's first Christmas, three people made him stockings. And he thought, I said, it's not always going to be like this, just to be clear. He thought there were like three Santas for a while, like a trinity of Santas. I was like, no, we just... We went a bit overboard. But he said, I've made Aria stocking. Because he said, my first Christmas here, people made me feel really welcome. And that's a hallmark of the UK to me. And he said, I want to make sure Ari feels special and welcome. And so he brought it out. He said, this is what I've bought. Um, he said, I've got this stocking. And I looked at it and I said, Steve, that's a stocking for a cat. <laughs> he went, what? Why are there stockings for cats? That's ridiculous. I went, I don't know. It's an eccentricity of this country. 
Many people in this country like cats more than refugees, honestly. That's, it's very strange. I don't know why. I said, but it's fine. You'll get away with it. He won't know. Uh, it's fine. And he said, and he'd put some things inside, you know, little chocolates and socks and things like that that you put in stockings. And then he went, here's the three main things for the stocking. I've bought him a globe, like a globe of the world, because I want him to know that the world is his oyster. And then he brought out an oyster card. <laughs> he said, I've brought him a, a, a topped up oyster card. So he knows that the oyster is his London. <laughs> and then he said, and I've got him a jar of Marmite because he needs to know the worst excesses <laughs> of integrating right now. <laughs> and that moment, that pay it forward moment of the ripple of we'll include you and you will immediately feel empowered and resourced to include someone else made me want to do the show because I wanted everyone here to know the huge impact that any small act of kindness to someone who's been displaced and especially someone who's been displaced not because of misfortune or war or famine or something that's happening to everyone but the time and place and experience of being displaced because of who you are in many cases by your own government, by people around you who love you, that's something. And so for someone else to say, you're welcome in our community, you're welcome at our Christmas, you're welcome here, it means everything, everything. It could be one tiny thing. But I ask you, as a community, I know many people here tonight, you've come for Campus Christmas, will be LGBTQ+, or strong allies with people who are LGBTQ+, in your family. Try and get involved with the Say It Loud Club, because one tiny act like that, one topped-up Oyster card, one smile, one, let's, I'll take you for a cup of tea, I know a great gay bar, I'd love to take you there, will mean everything. And forever, you will be in that person's story. You will, you will never not, that person will be on their deathbed and you will be such an important part of their story. And so as we come together tonight, I ask you not just to think about the great comedy and the drag and all the wonderful things you're going to be seeing, but what tiny, lovely, small act you could do that could create a ripple in our community here in London that could change anything and possibly everything. And now, please welcome to the stage, the incredible Tom Allen! Hi! Tom Allen! Hi, everybody! Uh, not to be unkind there, Deb, not to be unkind there, but you just did 35 minutes longer than you should have done. No, I didn't. No offence, no offence, but it's New Year, everybody, now, so... <laughs> I, was meant to do tw- I thought I was meant to do 20 minutes. You were supposed minutes. to bring me on at 7.40. It's quarter past eight. Don't worry no. about it. Don't worry That's about it. That's not true, it. is it? We're not in a rush. It's quarter past eight, yeah. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. I've become one of the Scottish widows. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Tom. Don't but, worry. We've but, been having a lovely time back there. We've I'm, been having a great old time. A gay old time, you might say. Tom, though, we, we have lost two acts tonight, so I was making well, up yeah, the time. Well, yeah, of old age, I think. <laughs> Tom, would you like me just to leave you here to talk about me? No, Deb, no. If, if you're not here, then it's bullying. But if you're here... <laughs> Can I ask you, Tom, about your family Christmas? Do you, do you have Christmas traditions that are eccentric? Uh, no. 
Um, although, what I love to do before Christmas, and I yeah. did it today as well, actually, I bleach the bathroom. Uh, is, that a, is that a Tom Allen thing? Yeah, I actually still... I smell like either a swimming pool or sort of slightly like poppers. And... Because um, <laughs> I use this spray mm. that's got bleach in it. I didn't realise until afterwards. And it made the whole, the whole bathroom smell like a, a swimming pool. So I've cleaned the bathroom, I've buffed the taps, and I've changed my bed sheets, which is the main reason I want you to hurry up, because I'm very keen to get back into them. <laughs> but, no, no, I'm very excited to be here. We, um, we, go on, you want to no, say no. something else? No, Can on. I just ask? It, no... <laughs> I just wanted to ask you some questions to lie the land. Tom Selinsky, who you may know, yes. uh, said to me about 20 minutes ago, we went up late and Deb's already overrunning. Can you be quick and not say too much when you go out there? Don't but I love how you've got a, a whole market research project. <laughs> Don't listen to the patriarchy out the back. We're here to have a good time. Sure. Don't, sure. We're not taking our orders from straight white men tonight. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. We might have to, if they, if they stop, if there's no more trains or tubes to <laughs> we might, a little did you, bit did you believe in Santa when you were a child I believed in him but did he believe in himself that's what I was always so worried about <laughs> so underconfident I was like, you're so great you're a wonderful person did you do you remember a time and I don't know just give us a cheer if you still believe in Santa no r- but really just give us a cheer if you really believe in Santa Okay. Who is Santa Claus married to? Is it Santa Barbara? Hey! What was your question? <laughs> Do you have any memory of sort of shifting between belief and less belief? Uh, yes, I do. I remember we went to see Santa, or Father Christmas, actually, as we called him, because um, we're not American. And we Some went, of us are. We went to... Sorry, other Americans here. Just give us two of your Americans. No offence. Oh, Loud cheers. That's... Loud cheers. Santa Claus. There you go. Santa Claus. You'd say Santa Claus. Father Christmas. We went to see Father Christmas at Alder's department store in Bromley. And the... Uh, guys, any uh, Alder's fans in? What happened to Alder's? It was great, wasn't it? Slightly too crammed, full of jumpers. But when, remember, and they said, if you believe, you'll put an ornament from your Christmas tree in your, in your bedroom window. Mm. And I did that. And, um, and then I felt like maybe I was slightly too old. And oh. I was 12 at the time. I was like 12. <laughs> See, I think that kind of magical belief is wonderful. And I, think, and I think the fact that you've believed enough to wear one of Despicable Daisy's capes tonight. Which are available um, in a silent auction, I think. Is that what's happening? Silent auction, yeah. Silent you auction out the back. Yeah, outside yeah. in the interval. And can I ask you, were you ever in a nativity show? Well, I was. And what did you play? The narrator. <laughs> and let me, because of my beautiful voice, and I do have a tendency to speak quite fast... And when I get nervous, and of course I did get more nervous than I realised, mm. and that little donkey, mm. which was basically two boys in brown t-shirts with a tablecloth on their head, it arrived in Bethlehem so fast. It was like it was on the goddamn Eurostar. <laughs> um, Tom Allen, it's... actually quite warm with a hood on. Yeah. We're going to be seeing a lot more of you tonight. Well, don't say it like that. <laughs> Put people off. Um, <laughs> everyone wants more of Tom Allen, don't they? You've got to say that now. No. Well, yeah, we've got to bring on our first act, Deb, because back. otherwise we will be told off. The other acts are in the green room out the back getting absolutely pissed. Okay. All right. In that case, 
Uh, our first act, you've probably seen him on live at the Apollo. Mm. You'll have seen him in lots of television things. Roast we... Battle, of course. He was on with Roast me, battle. of course. Did very well on TikTok. Somebody shared it. I don't know who. If you could... <laughs> was it you? No, it wasn't okay. me. I, uh, I put up one TikTok video and then it didn't do very well. And so I thought, oh, forget it. <laughs> you don't need TikTok. Don't, You're don't on the proper telly. It. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. Um, have you got a book out me. at the moment? I've got Tom? a book. I don't like to go on about it, but I've got a book out at the moment, okay? It's called Too Much. Um, get it from all, all good book retailers. Too much. I feel you're not enough, Tom. Oh, I could get more and more dear. and more of you. That, if only I'd had that as a quote to put on the front. Um, but I didn't. So, um, but thank you. Thank you for saying it. Now, but uh, our, yes. next, our first act? First act. Mm. Just an hour into the show. And... <laughs> I don't think anyone's noticed, and I think that's the main thing. I think we've really got away with it. No, no, they like it. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here. And I think it's high time we announced some Guilty Feminist Big Speeches Winter Workshops. If you, like the majority of the population, have a fear of public speaking, or if you quite enjoy it actually, but you'd like to level up your skills, perhaps you know someone who could benefit from this training and this would make a great Christmas present, or maybe you're just curious and would like to give it a go. If you are any of these things, then please go to guiltyfeminist.com forward slash big speeches to secure a place now on one of our winter workshops. They are taking place on December 11th at 11am. January the 14th at 3pm, January 28th at 11am and our last one will be February 11th at 3pm. Book now to avoid disappointment, our prices have never been lower. Hello Guilty Feminist, this is Deborah. We've got some new live shows coming in 2024. Tickets are on sale now for shows at King's Place in London on the 15th of January and 19th of February. Full lineups to be announced, but you know we always get the best co-hosts and the most interesting guests. And we'll be announcing our Australian and New Zealand dates very soon. So keep an eye on the website, guiltyfeminist.com. And if you're enjoying this episode, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen and give us a five-star review and a few lovely words. It really does help other people find the podcast. And so does talking about it on social media 
or even mentioning it to a friend with your face. You can also get ad-free episodes by subscribing on Patreon, Apple Podcasts or Acast Plus. That's all from me here. Back to the podcast. everybody. Uh, thank you so much for coming tonight. If you are accidentally in the room, you're incredibly welcome to stay. And may I offer you one of those vulva cupcakes? Um, if anyone's in charge of the music and should just turn it down, that would be amazing. If not, let's pretend it's a groovy track over which I'm doing spoken word. I feel like it's going to happen. Uh, so every year at the end of the year, the Guilty Feminist either does a birthday party show Or sometimes we do uh, Campus Christmas, which is our big Christmas show that we do in partnership with Say It Loud, uh, which is run for and by LGBTQ plus refugees. But this year, I am away at the end of the year uh, being busy and fabulous somewhere else. So I have to go to LA and I have to go to Australia and I promise it's work. I'm not just uh, lying on some beach somewhere, just abandoning you all at Christmas. I would never do that. But because of that, the fabulous Gina DCO... Uh, who is my, who's my right-hand woman and also uh, runs all sorts of wonderful events here at The Conduit. She has planned this incredible end-of-year party and what she said is it's because I'm going away, therefore there will be no Campus Christmas or Christmas Guilty Feminist. And also, she says here, Deborah will be in Australia for her birthday. And I said, I don't, I don't want rumours going around that I have birthdays. <laughs> I hate an audience watching me age. I really, it's my least favourite thing. So let's pretend that's not true. Um, and let's just say it's the, it will be the eighth birthday of the Guilty Feminist on December the 8th, 9th. Um, so we'll be eight years old, I know. <laughs> Happy birthday to us. But we, of course, wouldn't be the Guilty Feminist unless we had so many different people who came along and collaborated, amazing co-hosts. We have so many different comedians, so many activists over the years. And one of our favourites has been Leila Hussain, who runs the Dahlia Project. Now, Leila herself is a psychotherapist, but she has put together, and this is the only one in Europe, a groundbreaking specialist service providing free access to therapeutic support for survivors of female genital mutilation, something of which she has lived experience. And she goes back and forth between here and Kenya, and she runs this program in Europe, and it's helped so many, many, many people, uh, so many women who've suffered female genital mutilation. Hecate and uh, Laura from Manor Gardens Welfare Trust and Seema and Natalia from The Revengers are all here this evening supporting (laughs) co-founder Dr. Leila Hussein, who has sent a video. Is there a video going to play now? So let's cut now to Leila. Happy birthday, Guilty Feminist. I am so happy that you asked me to share this little video today. I am so sad I can't be with you. I'm currently in East Africa this time of the year, uh, especially between November till December. It's cutting season. This is when girls, uh, a lot of young girls, undergo female genital mutilation. So myself and my team here have been training many journalists on how they begin to report these cases. Deborah, thank you so much for always, always ensuring that you give women like myself and girls who are at risk of female genital mutilation your platform 
as you know, we are all going through a really hard time in the world. Anywhere you look, there's pain and struggle. People are truly suffering. So it's really important that we don't forget African girls who are also going to be at risk of being violated um, over the year. In Africa alone, three million girls are at risk of female genital mutilation. Dahlia has been part of my life for many, many years. Actually, 13th of November, we turned 10 years old. The purpose of Dahlia Project was really to support survivors of female genital mutilation in the UK. But Dahlia cannot survive without the support of the people in the UK. And the Guilty Feminist has been a great supporter of it, helping us raise funds, awareness, and also raising the status of what's currently happening in the UK. As many of you might have heard, we recently had a conviction of an FGM case in the UK. This is extremely important. FGM survivors deserve justice. But unfortunately, it just means we missed another girl. But we need to ensure those who are affected by this seek the right support. I want to thank my friends who are in the room today, the Avengers, who Dahlia will be supporting in ensuring that we fund their hubs. We really truly believe collaboration is the only way we're going to be doing this. Anyway, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want you guys to party, have a good time. The world is so depressing right now. So it's important that you have a bit of joy in the hours that you're together this evening. So I want to thank you all for letting me be part of this. Uh, tonight, I'm so sorry I can't be there, and I hope to see you all soon, and enjoy, and the Guilty Feminist team, happy birthday again, love you all so much, Mwah. big hugs. Leila Hussain, everybody! All right, um, would you like to hear some sound comedy from one of the, one of Guilty Feminist's absolute favourite co-hosts? Everybody loves her. Every time I go out onto the street like a regular person, people come up to me and say, when's Alison Spittle going to be on The Guilty Feminist again? Well, the answer is right now. Put your hands together and make incredible ring noises for the wonderful Alison Spittle. Hello. Hi, everybody. So um, The Guilty Feminist is eight years old. Uh, that's old enough to hold on to something weird that their mum says to them about their weight <laughs> and uh, de decompress that in therapy 22 years later. Um, it's beautiful to be here. Uh, my name is Alison and uh, I suppose I will talk to you today about... Um, did you enjoy your vagina cupcakes, by the way? Yes. It's so, it's, I'm such a prude, I ate the picture first. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, I need to lash into this buttercream without being, you know. <laughs> it's a very guilty aspect of my feminism. I, am, uh, I, I moved over to the UK from Ireland. I used to live in Ireland. Uh, I moved over to the UK for your lovely uh, free contraception. Um, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> um, uh, there are two things that I love about the UK. Uh, number one, the NHS. Uh, yeah, great. Number two, So Solid Crew. I love them. Um, they're very similar organisations, So Solid Crew and the NHS. We don't know how many people are in either organisation. It's incalculable. And also the government is trying to tear them apart. Um, and in Ireland, uh, you have to pay for your contraception, uh, both fiscally and spiritually. So it's lovely to be here. Um, 
gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you this uh, short story uh, about a trip I had uh, to the NHS, and uh, um, so I, I wanted your free contraception, and there are two types of contraception that the NHS offer, and those are both the coil. Um, one is the copper coil, and the side effects of the copper coil include heavier periods. And I'm sorry that I'm doing this material while pizza has been served. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, so one of the side effects of the copper coil is a heavier periods. But the other one, the hormonal coil, uh, the side effects of that include uh, suicidal ideation. So it's quite the choice you have to make when you're sitting there in the doctor's office. And I thought to myself, well, Alison, you used to be a fan of the Smiths and the Cure when you were a teenager. And don't lie to yourself, Papa Roach as well. You know the taste of suicidal ideation. Maybe it's better the devil you know. So I opted for the suicide coil. Um, and now I'm going to describe for you in minute detail the insertion process of the coil. Why, you may ask? Because it's a guilty feminist birthday. Yes. So first off, location is key when getting your coil inserted. Location is key. I got my coil inserted above a little in Archway, um, which is every little girl's dream of her first coil. And I went up to the room, and there was three people in the doctor's office, and I thought this was quite a lot of people for what I was told was going to be a very small procedure, right? There was a doctor, there was a nurse, and there was a student nurse. And I went up to the rooms, and I lay up in a trolley, put my two legs up in stirrups, right? And uh, the doctor put a thing inside me called a speculum. Now, if you don't know what a speculum is, I'll describe it for you here. It's basically, right, uh, a piece of medical equipment designed to prise the walls of your vagina apart to give the doctor room to work in. It's a lot like um, a carjack for your puss. Like, that's what it is, right? So they put it in and the, and the nurse is talking to me and I'm thinking, like, is this her job? Like, what's, what's the deal here? We're just chatting. I don't know what else she's doing here, right? But while we're having this chat, I hear this noise. And it's a noise you never want to hear at any procedure, especially one involving your vagina. And I went like this. <laughs> and I'm lying there thinking to myself, what's that, what's that? Don't say Anna and Alison, they're experts. Leave them to it, leave them to it, it'll be fine. But the next noise I hear, right, is a crunch. And I'm thinking to myself, what's that, what's that? Don't say Anna they're experts. Leave them to it, leave them to it. But the next noise I hear... Well, it's a noise you just never want to hear near, near your vagina in any capacity. And that was... <clears throat> Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, to hear a, a Jesus Christ to crunch in a pop. That's the three rice crispy men of the apocalypse right there. <laughs> At that point, I'm looking over my stomach like a nosy neighbour looking over a fence. Right? So, I've heard a disturbance. <laughs> Is everything okay? <laughs> and uh, the doctor popped up her head, right? She's like, oh, I'm sorry, Miss Bill, this has never happened before. And I'm like, what's after happening? What's after happening? And she goes, you've, um, you, you've broken the speculum. <laughs> I've broken the speculum. I've broken a piece of medical-grade equipment designed to prise the walls of my vagina apart, and I've shattered that into several pieces. I thought to myself, is this my X-Men's origin story? <laughs> is this how I find out I've got superpowers? Like, I wanted something to happen to London there and then. Uh, terrorism, aliens, I don't care, right? 
some big disaster so I could run out of the doctor's office, right? Run across the road with no trousers on, just a T-shirt, like Winnie the Pooh, just running across the road. Go to the police. Uh, guys, guys, I don't know what you can do with this, but just point me like a cannon. We'll see how we go. Huh? I wanted to text my boyfriend and go, you're a very lucky man. He is, he is. Uh, to escape. Uh, that's a joke about my puss. Um, I mean, they all are, essentially. I don't know why I had to point that one out. Um, but um, there's no other way of getting through this next bit with any dignity. So we'll, we'll get through it quickly, all right? They cleared away the debris. You know that feeling you get when you drop a pint glass and it smashes everywhere? And the barman will come over with a very small brush and a very small brush handle and brush it up. And you're like, oh, can I help in any way? And the barman is like, no, no, it's more dangerous if you help. Like, imagine that, but inside your vagina, right? That's what I had. And um, the doctor, she rebuilt, she started again. She put in a new speculum inside me and this time followed it up with a coil. Everyone's got different experiences with the coil, but for me, most painful experience I've ever had in my life. Screaming, crying, couldn't control the volume of my voice, right? And all while this ha- is happening, the nurse is beside me going, Alison, look at me, talk to me, talk to me. And it was at that stage I realised why that nurse was there, right? She was emceeing a torture session. And she was doing an amazing job, right? And she goes, the student nurse needs to learn to do what I'm doing, Alison. is okay, she fills in for me now. I said, yes, let her learn. Let her so the student nurse crawled up well not crawled up <laughs> walked I'm not going to exaggerate she's not out with the ring she's a, she's a member of the book she, she walked up from behind the other nurse right and then um, she walked up towards me and I'm going ah ah and she leans in right? and she goes do you like the seaside <laughs> I said, yes, yes, I like the seaside. Because no matter how much pain I'm in, I'm never going to deny the delights of the seaside. Like, you know, <laughs> it can't be done. It can't be done. And um, guys, I think I'm done. Um, I hope you all have a lovely evening. Um, best of luck, everyone. Bye. Thank you. If you... If you... Listen, if you don't think that comedy was feminist enough, you can have your money back. Um, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, so, listen, have, a, have fun. Have a happy birthday. Are you, are you just squeamish about speculums? Or you've, you've got something else to go to? Okay, fair enough. Well, you've seen the best part now, which was the bit about the, the superhero vagina. You, you didn't miss that. If anyone comes in now, you have to tell them there was a superhero vulva... You missed it, but you guys are good to go. Take a cake. Did you get any raffle tickets before you... No. Okay. Um, don't forget to buy raffle tickets. And Samo, the incredible Samo, who often plays for us for Global Pillage, for those uh, more niche fans, is going to be doing a set for us tonight here at the keyboard. Uh, big round of applause for Samo. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a very happy birthday. Mix Mill, femin- find a feminist you didn't know you liked yet, and uh, have, a tr- have a good time. Hello, this is Alison Spittle. Congratulations to the Guilty Feminist on its eighth birthday. 
so do I think my perspective on feminism has evolved since I've been on The Guilty Feminist? Yes, big time. I cringe sometimes thinking about some of the stuff that I've said on The Guilty Feminist. So it has evolved uh, in lots of ways. I suppose through the new people that I meet while doing the podcast, I learn so much and it's great. So some of it, like, I cringe at uh, how ignorant I was and some of it, I'm just quite happy that I've learned more. The episode I think was important, uh, I'm a bit biased, but I think it's the Repeal the Eighth episode that we did in Norwich. Uh, It was kind of really cool uh, to kind of like communicate outside of Ireland with people and tell people what was happening inside Ireland because sometimes being an Irish woman it can feel a bit mad yeah sometimes you feel a bit like gaslit by reality so it's kind of great to be able to talk about in a room with other people and I mean all the episodes I've done in Ireland have been amazing uh, because those are my people Ooh, favorite thing about the holiday season being a child of divorce uh, choosing which family I go to uh, I take it very seriously and they should all feel slighted when I don't spend Christmas at theirs. That's being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. Um, I think my favourite thing about the Christmas period is uh, the effort people go to to meet friends. There are friends that I only meet once every Christmas because of geography or whatever and uh, they're my favourite people. I'm Susan Wakoma and happy Christmas and happy anniversary to the Guilty Feminist podcast. I believe that my perspective on feminism has changed um, dramatically since I started getting involved with the Guilty Feminist podcast because I think probably as a black woman, sometimes you feel like you have the monopoly on, on wiseness and sageness <laughs> and intersection. And uh, what's been amazing about the podcast is that I've learned just, you know, how many different kinds of people we are fighting for. And it's broadened kind of what my scope is of being uh, a woman and what that means to so many people. Um, And yeah, you're, you're never too wise to learn more. The balance between comedy and really serious topics, which... The Guilty Feminist does amazingly. It's actually really hard. I think that Deborah and Tom and the whole team make it look really easy. Um, but it isn't, especially when things just keep happening <laughs> in the world. And sometimes it's really hard to bring humour um, to everything. But it's been going for so long and it really is at the like head of all of that. But I think that ultimately the best thing about comedy is that it opens you up and it makes you listen and makes you engage. And that's why actually comedy is the the best realm to talk about feminism, I think. Sort of biggest impact that the podcast has had on me has actually been when I agreed to jump out of a plane um, with Deborah, which was really early on in my Guilty Feminist career um and the reason why it was I mean there's loads of very special moments but the reason why that was especially special was because I barely knew Debs by that point and she was like for a podcast which is not a visual thing would you like to jump out of a plane and I went yeah and I think it was a real change in me and my kind of readiness to be brave and, and take risks, just personally. So that's why it's 
yeah, one of my best favourite moments. The thing I love about this time of year is mince pies, unlimited, um, Brussels sprouts. I am a Brussels sprouts um, fiend and I feel like at any other point in the year that's frowned upon, but now I can sort of like be my true freak self. So I really love kind of like demasking. Um, but also I just love the kind of centering of family, be it, you know, your relatives, be it your chosen family. That's what I love about this year is sort of, you know, Christmas cardy as it can be. I think that it's always a really lovely time of the year to remember like who you love. Hi, I'm Abigail Shaman, and happy birthday to the guilty feminist and happy holidays of whatever type of holiday you celebrate. I think what really stands out for me uh, in the shows I've appeared on is just how much the audience gets involved. And especially when we have guests on who are musical guests, it's just so joyous to walk out and sing along with the musical guests and all the audience. And it's just so much fun. Everyone gets involved. It's great. I think my perspective of feminism has changed since the first time I've been because feminism itself is ever evolving. And I would say that now in my life, I'm just more aware of how much more inclusive feminism can be and should be. I think what I like best about this time of the year as an American who lives in Britain There is no Thanksgiving, which might sound sad to you all, but Christmas and Thanksgiving are three weeks apart, and this is one less holiday that I have to worry about celebrating. I just have to worry about the one, and now that I only have the one, almost all the Christmas presents are nearly on time. My tips for a feminist Christmas are... Don't get too bogged down in the traditions and make it as easy and fun for you as possible. You don't have to do the big meal just like Nana did. You can have it catered or you can order a pizza. I'm Shappy, Chaparak, whichever you prefer. Call Sandy. Merry Christmas and a massive, big, fat, brilliant, beautiful eighth birthday to the guilty feminist. I think I was on the first ever episode where it was in a tiny little mouse hole in London somewhere um, and it had an audience of about eight. And I thought, what is this? What's Deborah doing? It's fun hanging out with her. But what is this? And now look, look what she's done. So my own feminism has evolved with The Guilty Feminist because it's the first place that isn't just purely academic and, you know, sort of read these 17 books and then let's chat. Um, It made feminism uh, conversation very everyday. And it's the first sort of place where they discuss feminism where people in my other walks of life that have nothing to do with my industry the comedy industry mums at the school gate you're a comedian 
do you listen to The Guilty Feminist? Oh, we love The Guilty Feminist. So I sort of came out as a feminist a little bit later in life, I think, because I was bogged down with other stuff when I was a young woman. But yeah, it sort of put feminism in the mainstream and on the map. Comedy is really important when talking about any serious issue. Feminism is a serious issue, right? So when you add comedy to it, it doesn't take away from the seriousness. You can be serious and funny, but you can't be solemn and funny, right? So solemnity is a different thing. And I find the guilty feminist, the way it sort of marries and invites comedy into very serious discussions is um, a way of making it connect and empower. I'm more drunk than I thought I was. I'm drinking, re- I'm drinking really slowly. I'm speaking really slowly so you don't realize I'm a bit pissed on my antibiotics and one beer. <laughs> Flippin' heck. This time of year of Christmas to me means peace which isn't something that we have an awful lot of, but my own little corner of the world, I always remember going through my divorce and my ex-husband saying that we had to alternate Christmas. And I remember a Christmas when I wasn't with my little boy and how devastating that was. And every year I am so thankful that I have Christmas with my son and my daughter and my son's father and his wife. We all have Christmas together. And to me, that's a very precious thing because we have had to work really hard. I have had to work really hard (laughs) to get here. And so that's, I, I can't ever separate that from what it used to be like when I had to have Christmases without my boy. Uh, My name is Zoe Brownstone. I'm a comedian. And from the bottom of my heart, I wish the Guilty Feminist listeners a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a safe new year, and peace in the Middle East. Okay, so the Guilty Feminist has been around for eight years, allegedly, but I feel like the Guilty Feminist has been around my entire life. Like, when I found the podcast... I and I'm not I'm not I'm I'm glad Deborah's not in the room right now because I truly it was at the beginning of my it was near the beginning of my comedy career and I really set it as a goal for myself that I would one day be on this podcast because so much of the conversation was like answers to questions that I have been asking and continue to ask and yeah through the eight years it's just been a, a relief that other women have these questions and there maybe aren't answers and there are some answers and. There's jokes. So eight incredible years. Wow. I will say in the episode that I was on, not to brag, um, when we were talking about romance, I, for not the first time, but like it's very rare that I feel like self-conscious on stage. Um, but it was it was tricky. I, I was talking about some really vulnerable material and stuff that I've turned into comedy. But when you're talking about it in the context of like a conversation and like sort of a serious conversation, I felt like so exposed and sort of giddy about that because some of my favorite conversations on the podcast have been with like comedians where you get to see sort of, I guess, a peek behind the curtains. Um, I think there are a lot of common misconceptions about 
comedians and female comedians. And earlier on in my career, it was like such a relief to hear other women who struggle with their own material, like trying to find the funny. And it was incredibly encouraging to sort of be on stage doing that and also thinking about it at the same time. Um, and extremely stressful. <laughs> I think talking about my dating life, my sex life, my breakup life, um, on stage in front of strangers is started off as therapeutic, but, um, now it's like, uh, it's become a sort of like, um, a beacon, a, a signal in, in a dark and stormy sea for myself, extremely selfish. Um, but I can sort of, you know, navigate the waters a bit more easily when I'm constantly every single night replaying all of my worst mistakes that I've ever made in front of strangers and allowing them to laugh. In fact, encouraging them to laugh at my misery and pain. Um, so yes, yes, I would. I would say that it, it is definitely a, a sort of a therapy, but also like a, you know, you should know better by now. <laughs> my favorite time about this year is um, the sort of unabashed agreement that we have to come together and love one another and put our differences aside. And I am really hopeful that this next month of holiday cheer um, is contagious around the world. And uh, man, it's really hard to be alive right now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I miss my family a lot. And that's really tough. But it's also like a strong and beautiful reminder that I have a family and to be grateful for that. And God, that wasn't funny at all. my perspective has changed. I think feminism is a scourge upon the earth, and I'm actually a sleeper cell trying to dismantle the guilty feminist within. Do you want me to give a real answer, or do you think that's funny? I think that's very funny. Okay. You, you a, a real answer, okay, go. Like. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.